Hello, and welcome to Episode 3 of It Happened, Glimpses of History. I'm your host, Alan Partington. This time, our brief glimpse of history is about Patrick Pierce, a leader of the Easter Rising of 1916 in Ireland. Our guest today is Sean Farrell Moran, Associate Professor in the Department of History at Oakland University. Professor Moran is the author of Patrick Pierce and the Politics of Redemption, The Mind of the Easter Rising, 1916. Hello, Professor Moran. How are you today? I'm doing well, Alan. How are you? Good. Thank you. Well, to start off, maybe you could tell us a little about yourself and about your field of study. Yeah, I um, grew up in the Washington, D.C. area and uh, had a varied number of jobs, et cetera, uh, before I sort of went to graduate school. Um, Along the way, I picked up degrees in philosophy and theology, and and I got training in psychoanalysis. I worked in clinical care at a number of hospitals, including Georgetown University's hospital. And um, I originally went to graduate school as a, uh, I was going to do medieval history, but I had a number of twists and turns uh, my first year and ended up on a long trip to Ireland and ran into family of mine, et cetera, and decided to come back and address something which I had stumbled across as an undergraduate in a course on Ireland. And uh, so that's basically how I ended up in studying mostly Irish and British history and what they call the history of ideas or intellectual history. And at Oakland, I'm a specialist in modern Europe, Ireland, England. I have taught Scottish history in the past, um, and I teach intellectual history and 20th century history. And that's kind of where my uh, teaching thing has fallen since I came to Oakland 31 years ago. I mentioned your book, and I guess today we plan on talking about Patrick Pierce. I wonder, I noticed it's also Padraig, that's the, the Irish, and it looks like there's two different spellings of that. Could you yeah. tell us a little about that? Well, Pierce was a great enthusiast for the language, and of course he was given, his father was English, his mother was Irish, and he was given the anglicized version of the name Patrick, from which we know St. Patrick. Um, most of his life he signed his name Patrick, etc., um, but he frequently switched over to, uh, as they would say, Paulrig Pierce. Uh, in in the Irish. Uh, my own name is an example of this. My last name, M-O-R-A-N in America, is pronounced the English way, Moran, but in Ireland, everybody says Moran. So, you know, you have to you have to be flexible when you're Irish. In reviewing your book, the Psychohistory Review said it was, quote, the first to apply the insights of psychoanalysis to either Pierce or any of the other significant figures of 20th century Irish history, end quote. Did you tell us why you decided to take this approach? Partially, it was given my experience, uh, my work experience, as well as my training in psychoanalytical theory, uh, which I went through in the 70s and into the 80s. But mostly it came from, as I was an undergraduate in a class on the Irish revolutionary tradition at American University, we read a biography of Patrick Pierce uh, by Ruth Dudley Edwards called Patrick Pierce, The Triumph of Failure. It's a great book. Uh, it's a groundbreaking book, uh, a controversial book. Pierce is the most controversial person in Irish history. 
But when I read it, I, given my experience of working uh, with patients, et cetera, I just thought that the book didn't understand the individual, that, it, that basically uh, she didn't have um, a grasp of the, the development issues that Pierce had uh, uh, growing up and as an adult. And so I decided that I had to, to take, I, ultimately, I was interested in what made him the way he was. And how did he come to play, play such a critical role in Irish history, one of the most important roles in the 20th century? And so I, I tapped into that knowledge uh, that I'd had and I acquired over time. I will say this, however, the book was never intended to be a biography, which it's often been referred to as. And it also is not truly psychohistory because I, I would rather call it more um something which is informed by our understanding of psychoanalysis and psychology um, that we've acquired about individuals' development. And so that's ultimately what led me to it, because ultimately I thought uh, she had missed the boat. It's important to note that when the book came out, um, it got reviewed on the front page of the two major Irish dailies. It'd be like having the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal review your book. And one of the one of the one of them said, "At last, we understand Patrick Pierce." And the other one said, "I had completely missed the mark." So I figured I had hit the sweet spot in between the two. And um, uh, and it's interesting because there's uh, this kind of uh, approach, uh, while not. Uh, stated directly by historians has come into practice, I think, to some degree with all of the, you know, biographies and stuff that have come out in the last 30 years. The book was published in 1994. And uh, so I think it's had an impact uh, beyond uh, just the subject of Patrick Pierce and the Easter Rising. Um, but uh, I think it's had a more general impact, or at least I hope it has, uh, in the practice of Irish historical writing. Pierce himself was an extremely unlikely revolutionary. He was uh, born in 1879. He was executed by the British in May of 1916 after uh, he and others led a group of rebels to take over key parts of downtown Dublin and withstood uh, onslaughts by British troops for the better part of a week. Um, Pierce, in many ways, is the ideological father of that event. And um, his writings, his prominence as a scholar in the Irish language, um, as an educator, he ran an Irish school, specifically Irish in language and tone and culture for uh, students uh, that was groundbreaking in Ireland. And, um, and Pierce rose into the ranks of uh, the Irish Republican movement uh, in the period from 1913 to 19, well, 1912 to 1916. And he kind of became the uh, speaker of the movement. And when the troops went out on uh, that morning uh, after Easter, the day after Easter and uh, Easter week of 1916, uh, Pierce, uh, in the major sort of building that they took over, which is the general post office in downtown Dublin, it's a big, huge uh, building with columns, etc. Pierce uh, read the the Declaration of the Republic of Ireland, uh, and they retired to the building, waiting for the British to attack. Now, originally, the thinking was that this would start a national revolution all over the place. Uh, Britain was in the midst of the World War, 
So they thought, you know, that Britain would have, would be distracted, et cetera, but that also that this example of themselves going out would uh, start a national revolution. It did not. Uh, ultimately, they had to surrender and the 15 leaders of the rising, 15 of the 16, 17, sorry, 17 leaders of the rising were executed, including Pierce and his brother. And he's become a very controversial person because much of what Pierce wrote about uh, very passionately was as a poet and as an educator and as an essayist was um, he also wrote plays. Uh, he had a vision of Ireland that could only be achieved through violence and through ultimately sacrifice. And what made Pierce an interesting figure to me, given him I also have a background in theology, was the way he meshed together ideas from Catholicism uh, about redemption and self-sacrifice, et cetera, with uh, ideas uh, tied to Irish mythic, the Irish mythic past, to the heroes of the past, such as the great Irish warrior Cahon. And he was part of a literary movement, which was reinvestigating that past. Some of the famous people would be, for example, would be W.B. Yeats and Pierce. He was a contemporary of Pierce's. And Pierce brought this imagery to his writing and to his poetry, and he made statements which uh, talked about that this could only be achieved through uh, blood and violence. Now, Pierce was the least violent person you could possibly imagine. He wasn't athletic. Uh, we know that he ever fired his gun on Easter Rising. Um, when the place was being shelled by the British, he was reading uh, Irish legends to the soldiers. I'm not sure that helped them out much. But uh, he was kind of an idealist and a dreamer. And uh, and so the, the legacy of extreme violence and the idea of um, Rep Irish Republicans dying on behalf of Ireland is always tied back to Pierce. And when we had the explosion of things in Northern Ireland in the 70s, you know, a 25-year war, in essence, Pierce was much in evidence. I went and interviewed the heads of the IRA, et cetera, and they talked extensively about Pierce and his language and so on. Uh, a lot of people would like to deny that. And a more recent biography tries to see him more in the mode of being a standard revolutionary. I don't think that fits. And uh, uh, part of it is his unique personal background. He grew up, his father was a stone carver of some ability, he had a thriving business doing uh funerary art and, and the decorative art on buildings and was quite a fine uh, artist. And uh, Pierce grew up in this household with Irish mothers and aunts and sisters, a house largely dominated by women, a rather distant father um, who was smart and uh, uh, wrote himself some political tracts and so on. So he had that interest. But I always thought that it was striking in the memory of the family that after the father passed away when Pierce was something like 20 years old, uh, they never really talked about the father. Pierce and his brother continued to live with these women who taught him these myths and stories from the Irish past that was very one-sided uh, sort of background. And uh, Pierce's father envisioned him as a lawyer and Pierce studied uh, for the law. He only tried one case and he started to become a language enthusiast for the Irish language and became editor of its leading publication and so on. He was really a cultural nationalist. And we have a number of these people that rise up in the, the, over the last two centuries. 
and it's currently very important today. Um, and Pierce uh, shared um, many intellectuals and cultural figures unease about the decay of modern life and the effects of modern life. Um, for him, it was complicated by the fact that, of course, Britain represented <laughs> modern modernity and so on. And uh, I don't think Pierce was anti-British. He was against British rule in Ireland. And uh, he wanted to assert um, Irish independence. And uh, that was his ultimate goal. And the fact is that I don't think that the Easter Rising had a chance of succeeding. And I'm not, and Pierce seems to have indicated he didn't think it would have a chance of succeeding, but he believed that every generation in Ireland had to have a rebellion to keep its credibility as a people. And he fused together these ideas and convinced other people and led the way in uh, this most important political event in Ireland's 20th century. And ultimately, five years later, Ireland had independence and uh, Pierce and the executed became martyrs for the cause. Uh, my argument against Ruth Dudley Edwards ultimately was it wasn't the triumph of failure that Pierce sought in uh, this revolutionary act, uh, the thing that would make him as a human being, whole as a human being. And although we might have a problem with that, that we think it's either pathological or something, I don't think he was pathological. Uh, Pierce uh, achieved in death, weirdly, what he sought in life. And uh, so I argued that, you know, in a sense, he was successful. Um, and uh, um, that's that's a fairly controversial <laughs> conclusion on its own. Um, I have to say the book's been in print ever since 1994, which is a little unusual. I didn't write it to be a, a, an academic. I mean, I it is an academic work, but I tried to make it as readable to, to uh, the public as possible. And it's sold and uh, continues to be sold. And so, um, you know, it's gratifying that, uh, you know, the book still has, uh, legs on it and it influences people today, which is, you know, it's unusual in history to be in print that long. And, and, uh, I'm proud of it. Uh, since then I've, I've never really moved away from Irish stuff. Uh, I'm an editor for a leading journal in Irish studies. Uh, I write book reviews all the time. I wrote a major, huge essay on Pierce and how historians have handled him because it's still an ongoing issue as far as I'm concerned. And uh, that's been somewhat controversial as well. But um, I keep my hand in. I go to conferences in Irish studies. I was president of uh, Irish studies in the Midwest part of the United States and served on the national board. So, you know, I've, I've had my hand in, but I've, I've also gone uh, more recently. I've done work on uh, the Irish uh, uh, mental health system and its history over the last 200 years. And uh, at the same time, I'm also working on uh, stuff about uh, uh, Sir Thomas Brown, who's a, an important English figure, uh, intellectual in the 17th century. So uh, I'm, I'm, I have diverse interests, and um, uh, but Patrick Pierce is always with me. Thank you, Professor Moran. I found that very interesting, and I learned a lot. Where can you buy your book today? It's on Amazon, as is everything, it seems, uh, but it's published by uh, Catholic University Press, 
and it's obtainable from them in paperback. It's no longer in hardback, but it's in paperback. I'm kind of also proud the uh, the uh, cover design. I kind of designed the cover, which is rare chance. And so it won an award for that. I didn't win any other awards, but I won an award for the design. Of the book. <laughs> Do you have any recommendations for other books on the subject? Well, there's Ruth Dudley Edwards's Patrick Pierce, uh, The Triumph of Failure, uh, which is a major book from 1977, kind of. Pierce always had been viewed as a saint and she took that on, you know. Um, but the, the, probably the standing standard biography, remember my work is not meant to be a biography is by a Dutchman, Just, uh, Augustine, Patrick Pierce, the making of a revolutionary. Pierce himself has, uh, some of his work is in collections, short stories and plays, uh, are available in press. Uh, there's also another book by Brian Murphy, Patrick Pierce, and the Lost Republican Ideal. Um, the standard, there's a lot of histories of the Easter Rising, in which Pierce plays the a critical, the critical role in a lot of ways. Uh, Charles Townsend's book on uh, the Easter Rising, I would recommend as the most thorough and um, complete. I've been asking my guests in these podcasts about their experiences with teaching during the pandemic. Do you have any thoughts on the subject? I am probably the least likely person for teaching online in human history. I mean, I'm a chalk and board guy. Um, I've never even moved a whiteboard. I mean, it's that bad. So uh, having to do this online, having to teach online, and I love teaching. I, I can retire, but I stay because I love the teaching and I'm still active in scholarship. Uh, I've been fortunate to have pretty small classes and a lot of graduate students. And it is a little easier, I think, teaching online to graduate students than it is a big, large, big undergraduate section. But I will say this, uh, you know, having had to condense things since I meet with the students less and so on, has not necessarily been a totally bad thing. What I find interesting about because I still, I never lecture the same way twice, ever. And I, and I, I have a huge pile of notes for every class and every section. And I read those and review them and then write things down and shove that in there and go and teach. That's what I do before every class. And and I take notes with me, but I don't read the notes. And um, uh, so the interesting thing has been having to condense this. And uh, that's, a, you know, one of the great things in teaching is when you learn something at the moment you're teaching. Some insight, some way of, you know, bringing it together or, or uh, an analogy or, you know, a metaphor that you never thought of before. It's like a, so, so to me, that's the exciting thing about teaching is that it's a creative process for the teacher and it should be for the student. And uh, so actually having to condense these things has been an amazing learning experience because I've had this sort of rethink everything in a totally different way. And, uh, you know, I, I miss the students and I don't think it's ideal and I'm sure we can't, we all can't wait till we get back to its normal, uh, thing. But, uh, uh, I think I found it to be very useful in a strange way that I didn't anticipate. Very good. Thank you so much, professor. We, I appreciate uh, you doing this. All right, Alan, it's been, it's been interesting and fun. And, uh, you know, I would urge uh, people, if they have any questions, you know, they can contact me uh, at the university by moran at oakland.edu. And I'd be glad to take any questions anybody has. That's very good. Thank you very much. 
This podcast is created by Alan Partington with assistance and encouragement from George Milne and James Naus and the cooperation and knowledge of the faculty of Oakland University Department of History. It's available at anchor.fm, spotify.com, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Come back soon for the next episode of It Happened, Glimpses of History. History.